Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Fellowship once again. I'm Pastor Scott, privileged to open up God's Word here with you this morning. Continuing with our series called Unlikely Heroes, how we're taking some of the characters from Scripture that maybe kind of are a little bit and seeing how God used them, which are great examples for us. Take your copy of God's Word, whether your electronic copy or your paper copy. Love you all to grab a copy of God's Word your electronic copy or your paper copy. Important for you to see these words for yourself as we open to Acts 18. All right, Acts 18. Acts 18. And let's stand together as we read God's word together. Acts 18. Acts 18. Verse 1, after this, and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked and they were tent makers by trade. Verse 18, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. And at Sencrea, he had his hair cut and was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Let's skip down to verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John, verse 26. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explain to him the way of God more accurately. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Continuing with our series of Unlikely Heroes, and today we come to our um, first power couple. First power couple, which we learn lots of great things from this power couple from the account that Luke gives us in the book of Acts. Uh, Couples have been used in lots of interesting different ways throughout history. Lots of great dynamic duos that are in our culture and in our history. Um, Maybe you can think of some dynamic duos in our culture. Like when you think of one name, you automatically think of the other. All right, let's try it. So I'm going to say the name of the first person. You give me out loud the name of the second person. All right, let's try it. Here is Laurel, and you have, good job, good job, very culturally astute. All right, let's let's try this. This might date some of us here. This, this This is Captain Kirk and 
Okay, half the congregation got that. Even less we get Mario and... Good, good job. We also got Bert and... Okay, good. We got... Only a few of you are going to get this one. We got Laverne and... Oh, wow, you guys were loud on that. Yeah, Laverne and Shirley. Wow, that is sad, sad. And, and one of my personal favorites, the 4-0 Eagles fan and impending playoff doom. That's, uh, yeah, that's my favorite duo there. Yeah, yeah. All right, so dynamic duos in our culture, but also here in the Bible, this dynamic duo of Priscilla and Aquila, they were, they were used powerfully by God. Let's just get it off that screen right there. <laughs> just, some of you are getting ready to walk out. Uh, this dynamic duo of, of Aquila and Priscilla, or Priscilla and Aquila, um, were used uniquely by God. And uh, the, the Apostle Paul who we would look at and say was probably the greatest missionary of all time and probably one of the Christians that, we, that was used maybe the greatest by God, maybe ever, that we know of, was only so great, the Apostle Paul, as the network that God put around him. And you think about when Paul would go into these situations and these, these cities, these scenarios, it's almost like the first thing he did was Find some people, if they were Christians, even better, find some people, begin to network with, with them, disciple them, prepare them, mentor them, and launch them. It was kind of Paul's MO. And that's what he does here with Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla um, can help us to better understand how God can take relationships that we have in our lives, and specifically today we'll be focusing on that marriage relationship, but also there's lots of application and lots of other relationships in life here. So don't tune me out if you're not married. Lots of application here and lots of different relationships. But the example of Aquila and Priscilla or Priscilla and Aquila shows us how a gospel accelerated marriage can work. How a gospel accelerated marriage can work. And ways that God wants to take your marriage and your relationships and begin to really accelerate them for the gospel. Marriage is a precious and unique relationship. And the marriage relationship really is to be focused on glorifying Christ. Because at the very core of this marriage relationship that many of you in the room would have, at the very core of the marriage relationship is the gospel. Paul laid it out so clearly in Ephesians chapter 5 when he talked about the role of the husband and wife and how the husband is to illustrate Christ in the marriage and how that marriage relationship between the husband and wife illustrates so beautifully Christ dying for the church, Christ giving his life for his wife, the bride of Christ, Christ giving all that he had and it illustrates beautifully what marriage is. Marriage is the gospel, powerfully illustrated. And in your marriage, you're illustrating what the gospel really is. Christ giving all for his spouse and, and his husband's giving all for our spouses. So there is no greater illustration of the gospel than a Christ-centered marriage. However, in marriage, it can be easy to coast 
where, you know, the months kind of turn into years and the years kind of turn into decades and you look back on years of your life or years of your marriage and you wonder just how have we grown in our marriage in the last years? And sometimes because of the hecticness and the craziness of Western life and South Jersey life, the need to pause and really determine kind of where are we at in the most important relationships in life and specifically in marriage is something that maybe we don't do enough of. God wants to take your marriage and use it as a gospel accelerator for him, for him. What are some ways that you can make your marriage a gospel accelerator? I wanna point out a few here as we talk through what we learn about Aquila and Priscilla. Ways that you can have a gospel-accelerated marriage. Number one, write this down in your teaching guide if you've got it there. Write this down. Number one, togetherness, a desire to do life together. A desire to do life together. Togetherness, a desire to do life together. You know, it's interesting. When you read the account that Luke has and also Paul has in 1 Corinthians and 2 Timothy of Aquila and Priscilla, you know, it's interesting when he mentions these people, they're always mentioned together. Always. It's always Priscilla and Aquila. It's always Aquila and Priscilla. It's always them doing life together. You know, what's sad is too many married couples aren't living like married couples. They're living like two people living together. Big difference between a married couple in a gospel-accelerated marriage and two people that are really just living together. And maybe where you're at right now in your marriage, you think about the fact that maybe that's kind of where you're at. You know, God has made you one flesh for a reason. And even in your one fleshness, you can still celebrate your differences. So even though you can be together in a marriage and you're one flesh in that marriage, there are differences between the two of you. And likely Aquila and Priscilla at some point in their marriage recognize we are two very different people. Two very different people. And that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. God made two genders, very unique and very different, for a reason. There is a reason why God made a man a man. And there's a reason why God made a woman a woman. There's very clear, distinct reasons for this. That's because men and women complement each other. That's because both genders have strengths and weaknesses. That's because there are things that men excel at and things they don't excel at. There are things that women excel at and things they don't excel at. Like, really, that's, you can look at any marriage and say, that's, that's been the case in our marriage for sure. And so, in marriage relationships, the husband and wife really mesh well and complement each other well, because that's how God's designed it to be. And when the Holy Spirit is energizing that union, it creates a dynamic scenario that the world simply cannot replicate. It's very unique in the Christian marriage because in the world, you don't have the Holy Spirit driving and accelerating that relationship, but in Christ you do. You do have that through the Holy Spirit. Men need women in marriage. I need my wife in marriage and women, you need your husband too. This is why God said in Genesis 2.18, 
It is not good for him to be alone, Adam. I will make a helper suitable for him. You know, if Adam could do it all by himself, if Adam could have taken care of things all by himself, God would have just created another dude. If God needed help, just if Adam needed help in the garden, just mowing the lawn and cutting shrubs, God would have given him another dude. But he didn't. The capstone, the creme de la creme of creation, the final product was Eve. It was Eve. God literally saved the best for last in a lot of ways. Uh, hey, boy, I got some amens in here. Mostly female voices. Uh, and there's a reason for that. They couldn't live life independent of each other. They needed each other. They weren't to live separate lives, but in a, under the banner of marriage, they were truly to do it together. Adam and Eve could have been a power couple for God's agenda. But instead, in critical moments, they chose to live life independent of each other. And in daily practice, husbands and wives should live dependent on each other. So in critical moments, a foundation of connectivity pre-exists. I'm going to say that one more time. In daily practice, not just when the crisis hits, but in daily practice, husbands and wives should live dependent on each other. So in critical moments, a foundation of connectivity pre-exists. That means in our parenting, we assure we have alignment. Parents, that's something we have to constantly work at, right? That we have alignment. In the cultivation of our marriage, we're regularly making time for each other. In areas where we are struggling, we are getting help. We're doing this together. Together. Couples, ask yourself a few questions here. In your togetherness as a couple, where are you strong and where are you weak? In what ways is your togetherness drawing people to closer to Christ, particularly in your own home or your So for Quilla and Priscilla, their desire for togetherness is not just to have companion to the gospel. We're going to accelerate Christ's message and we're going to do this together. Together. How do you build a gospel-accelerated marriage? Togetherness. A desire to do life together. Second, adaptability. Write that down. Adaptability, a willingness to go and stay. A willingness to go and stay. You know, as we look at the life of Aquila and Priscilla, we see them over the years going from place to place. As you look at the gospel accounts and you look at what's happening in 1 Corinthians and also the end of 2 Timothy, you see Aquila and Priscilla going from place to place, sometimes because they had to, other times because they wanted to. When Acts 18 opens up, we learn that Aquila and Priscilla are being forced from their homes because of racial and likely political opposition. Interesting. I mean, very appropriate for today. Forced to leave one country and go to another because of opposition. Racial and probably political. So what we learned from secular history is that during this time in, in Rome, uh, the Roman governor Claudius had mandated all the Jews had to leave Rome. And secular history points to the fact that there was 
probably some Jews that were causing political upheaval. And so the government's solution was to expel them. And that's where they found themselves. I'm sure they were living a nice, comfortable life in Rome and God uprooted them and said, you're not staying in Rome anymore. I'm sending you somewhere else. And they landed in Corinth. They left their homes. They relocated. What'd they do when they got to Corinth? We don't know why they necessarily went to Corinth. Maybe because it was a cosmopolitan city, a commercial city. What did they do? They continued with their occupation that they likely were doing. They pivoted to do. Adaptability. A pivot. Paul shows up in Rome. I'm sorry, in Corinth. For a year and a half, Acts 18, 11, Paul stayed in, in Corinth, likely pouring into this precious couple because he's staying in their home. And when it came time, check this out, for Paul to move on to Ephesus, you know what he does after a year and a half of discipleship? He says to Aquila and Priscilla, why don't you guys come with me? And you know what they did? They left. They left. They went with him. They continued on with that ministry there in Ephesus. He comes to Ephesus. The text goes on to say, Paul leaves Ephesus. He leaves Aquila and Priscilla there. He leaves them there and says, you guys are going to carry on the work here, the Ephesian work. You guys are going to do it. Priscilla and Aquila were left alone in ministry, ready to go, fully adaptable, ready to do whatever it was that God wanted them to do. Priscilla and Aquila were firm in their beliefs, but flexible in their life circumstances. Firm in their beliefs, but flexible in their life circumstances. So, as we know based on scripture, God's sovereignty is rock solid. Okay, God's sovereignty and God's plan doesn't change. And God's plan has been in place since the beginning of time. But humanly speaking, we wake up every day with new marching orders, ready to do whatever it is God wants us to do. Like we should show up, maybe not literally do this, but we should show up and say, here I am, Lord, reporting for duty. What would you have me to do today? Ready to go. You get in the word, you read the word, you're in prayer, and you find out your marching orders for the day, and you're ready to go, but willing to do whatever it is that God wants you to do. Adaptability. Adaptability. We have to be ready for those marching orders. Now, in marriages, I won't ask for a show of hands here. In marriages, you usually have one person that's like ultra-flexible and one person not so much, right? Is that the case in a lot of marriages? One person that's like really flexible and, you know, and willing to do whatever. And one person, I think I'm kind of comfortable right here. You know, that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Because God can use that, that, those differences in those marriages to help each other. The person that's like so flexible, they get pulled back all, they get moved this way a little bit. And then that God uses that. But what you can't have in marriage is a self-preservationist approach to changing circumstances. Self-preservation. Oh yeah, I'll be flexible. I'll do whatever God wants me to do as long as I can just keep living on my South Jersey life. Can't say that. Can't say that. Early in our marriage, one of our mentors it was all the time when it came to whatever God might want to do with our lives, all the time. Scott and Rachel, you've got to be 100% willing to go and 100% willing to stay. 100% willing to stay and 100% willing to go. 
In other words, when God brings you somewhere or takes you somewhere, yeah, you put down roots, but man, you gotta be ready to go. You gotta be ready to go. When we went to do missionary work in Canada, and I was leading the Canadian ministry for Word of Life, I thought, man, I'll be doing this till retirement. I'll be doing this for the rest of my life. I'll be living the South Ontario dream, cheering for the Leafs, cheering for the Blue Jays. Um, Didn't know, didn't know um, one day when I had a phone call with Phil Moser, that all that was gonna change. Had no clue. God knew. God had a plan. I remember one of my first conversations with, with Paul and Kim Stone. First weekend I met them, where Kim talked to us about being willing to leave whatever it is God wants you and go to do whatever it is God wants you to do. Just a willingness. Okay, Lord, not here for my agenda. Not here for what you, for what I want, but ultimately, God, I've got to be willing to do whatever it is you would like me to do. So let me ask you, if God asked you, would you be willing to uproot your South Jersey life for something else? Now, I'm not talking because of taxes or Democratic governors. I'm not talking for that reason. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about God's agenda. Whatever it is he may want you to do, would you be willing to go? Or if God asked you to, would you be willing to become a support-raising missionary? Now, those are... Those are tough questions to wrestle with, are they not? Because the cliche answers are, oh, yeah, yeah. Would you be willing? We're parents. We're creating an environment in our home where we're reiterating with our children We have to be willing to do whatever it is God wants us to do. Sometimes as parents, we might say that, but then when our child says, okay, well, mom and dad, I'd like to go to Bible college for a year, then that's a different story. Things to think about. Willing to do whatever it is that God wants us to do. How do you build a gospel-accelerated marriage? Togetherness. Adaptability. Third, mentorship. A willingness to reach out to others. Mentorship. A willingness to reach out to others. Man, Priscilla and Aquila, they were all about others. They were all about meeting other people's needs, investing in others. It was a major part of their life. And when they were in Ephesus, because Paul left them there to advance the gospel, they come across this man, Apollos, a preacher who could really preach. This dude could light it up. 
And it says that in verse 24, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, verse 24, he came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. There's a lot in those verses there, especially the fact that he came from Alexandria and what was in Alexandria and what some of his theological and educational background may have been. There's a lot of information there that we could look at outside of the text here. But it says he was an eloquent man and this man knew his Bible well. Very eloquent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. And he was speaking boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, we'll get to that in just a second. So you got this guy, Apollos. Apollos is preaching the word. Paul's is talking about the baptism of John the Baptist and how Jesus came and brought a message of repentance. And he was probably talking about the fact that Jesus was the son of God and fulfilled all these Old Testament scriptures. But he only knew the story up to a certain point. So he wasn't intentionally preaching an incomplete gospel. He just didn't know the whole story. And here's the deal with that. So you got to remember when you're studying the book of Acts, Acts is a transitional book, very important. Acts is a transitional book. And in the book of Acts, you got the Old Testament coming in this way, you got the New Testament coming in this way, and the book of Acts meets right in the middle, right in the middle. And so at the front part of the book of Acts, man, it is very bathed in Old Testament prophecy and fulfilling the day of the Lord and the coming of the day of the Lord. That's Acts 2. That's Acts 3. Acts 3, day of refreshing, Peter talked about, and the coming of the Lord. That's all Acts 3. But then it begins to transition, fulfilling Acts 1.8, where Jesus told him to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and their outermost parts of the earth. That's an outline of the book of Acts. But it's a transition book. And so you've got to be careful when you're getting all your church theology exclusively from the book of Acts because it's a transitional book. And so because it was a transitional book, you had the need of things like tongues and that sort of thing to authenticate the message because there was no New Testament. All that's in the book of Acts. And you see that as a transitional element here. And the story of Apollos is transitional. It's transitional. So don't be so hard on Apollos because he's a transitional character in his theology. He only knew up to a certain point of the story. So there he is. He is waxing eloquent in that synagogue. He is going to town. He is talking about the Old Testament and the prophecies, and he's talking about Jesus, but maybe leaves out something very important, maybe relating to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Maybe leaves it out just because he didn't know about it. Aquila and Priscilla, they're sitting there by God's sovereignty, sitting in very synagogue for a reason. And I'm sure as they're sitting there listening to Apollos, Aquila and Priscilla are kind of nudging each other a little bit, saying, man, this guy's good, but only knows part of the story. They knew they had to do something. They knew they had to do something. Now, this couple had been discipled under the Apostle Paul for a year and a half. They knew their theology. And they had to say something. Now, what was it that they did when they had to like make a correction? Maybe they came to him in the foyer after his message. Maybe they did that. 
Maybe they, during the week, talked with their friends about it and about Apollos and his bad message. Maybe they did that. Maybe they kept to themselves and they stewed on it and became increasingly bitter. Maybe they did that. No, that's not what they did. What they did in 1826, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, what they do? Look at, the, look at the text on the screen there. They invited him to their home on the Sabbath, likely having a Sabbath meal, and explained to him the way of God more adequately. They didn't rip into him. They didn't demolish him. They treated it like family should. Speak the truth in love. Just talk. Just talk about it. Now, Apollos, what was his reaction after that happened? Man, I'm a preacher of the gospel. Who are these guys to tell me what I should be and shouldn't be preaching? No, it doesn't say that. In fact, the text goes on later to say that because of that interaction with Aquila and Priscilla, Apollos was so much more effective in ministry. He preached the way of Christ so much more better, so much better. They equipped him. They equipped him. And what, they were sharing, what he was sharing about the gospel. Interesting. Check this out. The Greek tenses tell us that Aquila and Priscilla, Priscilla and Aquila, did this explaining. The Greek tells us that they did this explaining together. Together. So what do you have there? You have Aquila giving a theology lesson to Apollos. But you've got Priscilla giving a theology lesson to Apollos. They did it together. They did it together. And interesting, in all the references that you have of Aquila and Priscilla, Priscilla and Aquila in the New Testament, you know who's typically mentioned first? Priscilla. Now, Luke and others don't tell us why that is, but that is not common in ancient literature to list the wife First. In fact, you look at all the other references, a lot of the other references in Scripture, it's the man, the woman, the man, the woman, the man, the woman, but here it's the woman and the man. Probably because Priscilla was taking a lead in a lot of these areas, in her theology and the things that she was sharing. She was taking a lead. Not in a biblical way, but just taking a lead. Because in the New Covenant, a woman had so much capacity to communicate to share, to impart truth, maybe so much more than the old covenant. And within the the right confines of a local church governing structure, a woman had so much freedom to exercise her her giftedness in ministry this way. That's pretty encouraging. That's pretty encouraging. The point being this, like Aquila and Priscilla, investing in others should be a major component of the Christ-centered marriage. This doesn't mean couples that you're in full-time ministry and the only way you're going to honor God is being in full-time ministry. It doesn't mean that. It just means you're both doing ministry together. And couples, it means this. It means you're finding another couple to invest in. You're finding another couple to invest in. How do you build a gospel-accelerated marriage? Togetherness. Adaptability. 
Mentorship. Hospitality. Write that down. Hospitality. A desire to use your resources for God's glory. Hospitality. A desire to use your resources for God's glory. Quill and Priscilla had the mentality, what we have is God's. They used their home to help Paul when he first came to Corinth. Now check this out. We know based on what Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul opens the window a little bit on his mental, emotional, physical, spiritual state when he first arrived in Corinth. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3 tells us that Paul may not have been in a good place when he came to Corinth. He came to Corinth afraid, 1 Corinthians 2. Weak, trembling, alone. He had just gone through a series of setbacks in some previous missionary ministry that were not good. And Paul shows up in Corinth by himself, probably not in a good place. And in God's sovereignty, he brings this couple Priscilla and Aquila, alongside the Apostle Paul. You know what? It's a lot of TLC. It's a lot of TLC with the Apostle Paul. You know what, Paul? Let us just minister to you. Aquila and Priscilla would have been so instrumental in helping Paul get his Corinthian feet underneath him. But check this out. This would not be the only time that Priscilla and Aquila helped Paul Check what Paul said in Romans 16, 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Now, the text doesn't tell us what happened here. The text doesn't tell us what specific event that Aquila and Priscilla were so far in their ministry in Paul's life that they were on the verge of death to continue the gospel. But we shouldn't look at this as hyperbole. This literally happened. Something happened where Priscilla and Aquila said, today might be the day where we give our lives for the gospel. They were willing to. They were willing to. What a great example for us. Bishop Hanley Mole translates this verse this way. For my life's sake, Priscilla and Aquila submitted their own throats to the knife. They used what they had to help the gospel move forward, even if it meant risking their lives. They saw their home as being critical to the furthering the gospel. When Paul sent a letter to the Roman Christians, he sent greetings to the church that met in Aquila and Priscilla's house. Check this out in Romans 16, 5. Greet also the church that meets at their Priscilla and Aquila's house. They're giving their lives for the gospel. They've got a house church. They're doing whatever. They're doing whatever it takes. They're doing whatever it needs to further the gospel. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. They had what they took. They took what they had and they used it to accelerate the gospel. Their home was the greatest asset they had. 
and they used it to accelerate the gospel. Hey, South Jersey Church, listen to me. We are a blessed community. I mean, comparative to the rest of the world, we are so blessed. Are we not? God would have us use the blessings that he has given to us not to hoard, not to pat ourselves in the back, but to use it to accelerate the gospel. Especially right here in South Jersey, where most people do not believe. How do you build a gospel-accelerated marriage? Togetherness. A desire to do life together. Adaptability. A willingness to go, stay. Mentorship. A willingness to reach out to others. Being hospitable. A desire to use your resources for God's glory. Now look at the screen. Don't just hear it. Do it. Right? Don't just hear it. Now you got to do it. So families, couples, of these four things, pick one and say, okay, we want to grow in this area, this one area. We're going to grow in this one area and start to cultivate that this week. If you were to pick one area, what would it be? And maybe as a couple, it'd be a great thing for you to talk about. And these four things, how do we want to grow? How do we want to grow? Let's pray together. Let's ask the Lord right now to drive these truths deep into our heart as Pastor Justin comes. Could we just bow in prayer? And right before we pray, right before we pray, just with your eyes closed, just as an opportunity to just kind of pause and just contemplate a bit. What is an area that you've got to grow in, in these areas? In your heart, what's an area here that you would say, you know, my heart's a little hard in this area. You need the Holy Spirit to do some work. What would it be? Would you allow him to do his work in this area of your life? And why don't we pray about that right now? Father, I pray for all of us. Married couples, singles, teens, all of us in the room here, Lord, where we've been given the responsibility to accelerate the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the examples of Priscilla and Aquila who were willing to give all for you, Lord. What an incredible example. Lord, may that be the case with the couples, the families here at Fellowship Bible Church. That we would be a church, Lord, that we'd be willing to give all to accelerate the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for your patience with us in these areas. But Lord, help us to grow. Help us, Lord, to grow in these areas to further your kingdom here in South Jersey. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, 
aboutfbc.org or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.